0: Hello, welcome back in to Talks on the Catechism with David O'Gray. In this talk, we'll be looking at chapter 3 of the Catechism Catholic Church called God Comes to Meet Man, beginning with paragraph 50 all the way through paragraph 141. So there's lots to unpack in this chapter. And we've already hit on some of the elements um, in the previous talk. So in this talk, I'll be focusing on the big concepts. There's like four of them in these paragraphs. The first is the meaning of Revelation. The second is the purpose of revelation. Third is the Catholic understanding of the sources of God's revelation. And fourth is how the liturgy of the holy mass presents the fullness of God's revelation. In the previous chapter, we discussed how and why God has given man the capacity to desire and to approach him, to know him and to speak about him. Therefore being that man was given the capacity to know, love, and serve God, that male and female were created for God and by God. In this chapter, we will transition to speak about the ways by which God comes to meet his creatures on their journey towards their creator. Because the nature of God is love, as 1 John chapter 4, verse um, eight states, is very important to affirm that a principal character of love is self-disclosure, meaning that love can never keep itself secret. Even the secret admirer always, always revealing his love to his object of love, even if he doesn't always disclose his name, he discloses how he feels. The first thing we should know about love is that love is always revealing itself to his object of love. And that is why God is always revealing himself to his creatures, because he loves what he created. Now, beyond this natural necessity of love, um, of divine love, there are six other reasons why God reveals himself. The first of those reasons are drawn from um, chapter um, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. And the sixth reason is drawn from the 15th chapter of John. So these are the six reasons. I'll go through them. Why God reveals himself to us. The first reason God reveals himself to us is so that we might know him. right? The second is that so we might follow him. Third, so that we might become his disciples. Fourth, so that we might know the truth. Fifth, so that we might be free. And sixth, so that we might not ever depart from him. And those are in, in sequence, in order. Okay. Paragraphs uh, 54 through uh, 54 through 64 of the catechism, I, I think it's just a, a beautiful narrative on divine love and how patient and kind it is. And it reminds us that, that God is like a love struck boy. Who is just tripping over himself? to show his show the girl how much he loves her, but but not in an overwhelming type of way or in a forceful way or in a, any matter by which we would associate with disordered affection, but oftentimes silent, right? sometimes vocal, but always evident and present. Beginning with our first parents and then with after the fall with the covenants that God made, his divine promises made with Noah and Abraham and the people of Israel after he brought them out of Egypt and um, with David promising to restore his people and to bring them into the inheritance that he always desired for them, which is true communion and true relationship with him. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember a a time when you did not know your your parents' first names? Think about this. There was a time when you only knew your mother's mom and your father's dad or your grandparents' grandma and grandpa. You didn't know their first names. But even without knowing their names, you knew that they love you and you knew that they were driven to protect you. Or at least I hope that was your experience as it ought to have been. That is what God revealing his love for his people in the Old Testament reminds me of, of a parent raising their child, giving them commands, don't do this, don't do that, showing their child that they they, they can trust them and that they're going to be there for them to protect them and to discipline them or to let them suffer the consequences of their autonomous actions, but all the while leading and guiding them into a deeper relationship. Envision God doing all that and we did not even have a personal name to call him by The best thing that we had was what God had told Moses, which wasn't even really named Which is like a sentence when Moses asked him at the burning bush, who should I tell them sent me? And it seems that God sort of even chuckles at the notion in response. He's saying I am who I am Tell them I am sent you, but in asking for God's name what Moses was attempting to do was build a relationship with God who appeared to him and was sending him on a mission that could cost him his life and he needed a name for this God because back in Egypt there were many gods and the Israelites were going to ask him, okay Moses, which God sent you to tell us this? All right? and, and later on, uh, Moses, God would give Moses some more information about himself. He basically will give Moses his curriculum vitae. right? saying that I appeared to Abraham, I appeared to Isaac and Jacob as the God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And in in fact, we did not get, we did not even merit a personal name um, to call God until the fullness of time had come. And when we were ready for the full disclosure of God, when we were ready for God to tell us everything about who he is and how much he loves us. True relationship always begins when we know each other's name because at that point, we have surrendered power to each other because we can call each other by our names. Once you know my name, the next time you see me, you'll be able to say, you'll be able to call me by name, my name, get my attention, you'll you'll see me in waves, say, hey, David, right? And I'll respond to you by your name. Strangers do not have that power. The only thing strangers can say to you is, hey, you over there, right? Maybe they'll use some sort of descriptive words. Hey you, with the suit jacket on and tie, right? And, and upon hearing that, I could either ignore you or I could respond, that's my choice, right? But if you call me by my name, hey David, I have to respond, right? Because you have power over me. I have to attend to you, right? You call me by my name. Think of Marius in Victor Hugo's Les, Les Um Les in um, his version of courting one's object of attention. Perhaps Marius was stalking a girl, even obsessively. But one could also make the case that Cosette loved his attention more than he enjoyed showing it. Yet, even after Marius had entered the garden where they talked for him and Cosette talked for hours, um, the text says about everything then not the relationship truly began when they asked the question. The text in the book says when they had finally finished, when they had told each other um, about everything. Um, She laid her head on his shoulder and asked, What is your name? My name is Marius, he said. What is your name? My name is Cosette. Now their relationship began with an exchange of personal names after an hour of getting to know each other and telling each other everything. Perhaps it was then when they realized, Okay, this might work, right? Let's give each other power. Like Marius and Cosette who had told each other everything, In Christ Jesus the Father had not only not only given us himself he has said everything to us through him paragraph 65 of the catechism says in him he has said everything there will there will be no other word than this one meaning that the death of Christ Jesus on the cross at that we have received everything we needed to know about God for our salvation There may be so-called private revelations, some of which the church has recognized as being authentic. But these private revelations are private (laughs) and not obligatory for the faithful to accept. Neither do they belong to the body of public revelation, which the church calls the deposit of faith. There will be no new public revelation, and there cannot be any revelation that surpasses or corrects public revelation. And therefore, public revelation... um, is complete until the return of Christ Jesus at the end of time. And paragraph um, 66 states that um, in the Catechism it states that it remains for the Christian faith gradually to grasp its full significance over the course of centuries. So how is it that the faithful are called to grasp the full significance of the, our eternal Father's revelation through Christ Jesus? Well, what's important here is distinguish what, um, and as much as the deposit of faith is is closed and there will be no new revelation, that revelation is not dead in a sense. Meaning that the word of God is living and active, it breathes. The word of God is not like the words that you and I speak. If I were to speak a word and that word, it it might have power. For example, I could tell my daughter, hey, daughter, come here and, and she'll come. But the power of my word does not compel her to keep coming. To the contrary, think of the word of God as a word that never stops, a word that, that keeps going throughout, throughout all of time, a word that you cannot stop hearing. God's word is infectious. It's always active, always moving, always creative. And his word has this character because as 1 um, Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 states, God's desi- God desires all men to be saved. And come to the knowledge of truth, which is his son, Jesus Christ. In the language of the church, we accept the ever living and never dying word of God as what we call divine revelation that is received through two mediums. The first, or mode, you could call them, the first mode is called sacred tradition. That is the entirety of God's word, the gospel handed down orally from Christ to his apostles and entrusted to their care and to their successors. The other mode is called sacred tradition, sacred scripture. I'm sorry. That, that is the writings of the apostles of, of Christ and other men who were um, inspired by the Holy Spirit and committed their message in writing um, about salvation. In this way, the sacred scriptures um, are the true speech of God. When we listen to sacred scripture, the church teaches that we ought to use three senses um, to discern what is being said. Right? It's it's really two senses, but you can break them down into um, three senses um, that are uh, in a subgroup, really. And then the first sense is really the the most important one. You have to get this. It's called the literal sense. That's what it literally is. What are the scriptures literally saying? After we hear the literal word, we can then dive into the second sense called the spiritual sense of the text. And in the spiritual sense, we might employ those other senses um, to hear what the Holy Spirit has inspired. Um, the allegorical lessons, the moral lessons, the anagogical lessons, that is the, the teachings that guide us towards Christ, our true homeland in heaven. And for many centuries, um, of Scripture was all the Catholic Church had until our collection of secular Scriptures were canonized in the year 382 by Pope Damascus at the council of Rome. And and um and so that that's what the church those those are two modes of divine revelation. But but although we we speak of these two mediums or modes of transmission of God's revelation separately, we do not separate them because as paragraph 80 of the catechism states, both of these modes transmissions of divine revelation have one common source, God. So we don't separate them, right? It is his speech. In the life of the church, the Holy Mass is where we find the beauty of God's desire of revealing himself and man meeting God. Throughout the liturgy, we bear witness of this exchange by which man and God build relationship. Think about how at the Mass, the Mass begins with a procession, that is a movement of man towards God. And then the priest begins the Mass in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in calling upon the name of God, the mass begins in relationship. The mass is then divided in four movements. The first movement is is man confessing his sorrow um, and his need for God. Then in the second movement is God confessing his love for his people through the readings of the Old and New Testament. And then the third movement, we find Christ Jesus, the fullness of revelation of the Father coming to dwell with men as you read about uh, in, in a historical sense in the gospel, but takes on new meaning through the communion rite where the real body and blood of Jesus comes to dwell in the body and blood of his people. When we take all of him into all of us. And then a the fourth movement is like the acts of the apostles. Now that we have received him, we are called to go share him with the world. And in this way, the revelation of God remains ever present and ever living in the world. The Holy mass is where it is all that it is all there. And you, you should never separate revelation from the mass because the liturgy really does communicate the fullness of divine revelation. Um, now having talked about man's capacity for God and God's desire, to feel that capacity by revealing himself to man. In chapter three, the next installment of this talk in chapter three, of the catechism, we will talk about man's response, our response to God revealing himself. Thanks for watching.